You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join Pastor Ryan now. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 5, continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke. Really excited about this study and how God is speaking to us and how we're just seeing Jesus. And that's what I want. It's so much uh, what I want is just to see Jesus Uh, Really in every page of the Bible, but as we make our way through the life of Christ, it's amazing the new things that we learn about him and the new things uh, that we see about him. Um, There is a tragic kind of digression that can take place in, in the life of a Christian. A digression that really masquerades itself as progress, but is just the opposite in fact. This digression... It really comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. And it's a move away from Jesus toward rules, regulations, and traditions. It's a digression called legalism that can creep in to any of our lives. Webster's, the online version, translates or defines legalism as a strict, literal, or excessive conformity to the law or to a religious or moral code. And it's very easy for us to fall into that, to think that we're progressing, to think that we're actually growing in Christ, when in fact we're not doing that at all. What we are doing is falling into legalism. We're falling into rules, into traditions, and we think, man, I've got it together. I'm doing so well. I don't do those things that bad people do. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't cuss. I don't watch anything but Disney movies and even Disney movies are out because they have some witchcraft in them and stuff and we get all freaked out about the wrong thing the Galatian church was a church that was struggling in this area and you don't need to turn there but I just want to read to you Paul's statements to the Galatian church what Paul had to say to them his challenge to them as they were mixing the grace of God with legalism as they were thinking, you know what? Yeah, Jesus is good, and, and, and we believe in Jesus, but it's also about what you, what you do. And Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Who's fooled you? Who's deceived you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit, or were you born again by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Did you think that you were going to start off by the grace of God and then finish by your own works? And that's the mindset. That's the the mentality that we fall into, isn't it? That Jesus is going to hand me the baton. He got the ball rolling, but now I've got to finish it. And Paul challenges the Galatians to see that that mindset is totally wrong. And he goes on in verse 10, he says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In other words, if you want to try to approach God by your own works, you're going to have to be perfect. That there is no standard by which, okay, well, your good works outweighed your bad works, so you're okay. It's, it's good. No, 
it's completely works or completely grace. And he says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. In other words, you aren't just saved by faith, but we live by faith daily. It's completely and totally the work of God. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a, become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so Paul's challenge to the Galatians is the same challenge that I want to give us this morning. As we look at Luke chapters 5, 33 through chapter 6, 11. And, and here we, we notice, we're going to take note of five characteristics about legalism. Five things that kind of define what legalism is and, and will show us if we are falling into that trap of legalism. And remember, it disguises itself as progression. You might even think, man, I'm really growing because I'm overcoming these particular things that I deem necessary to be defined as a Christian. But in reality, we're actually moving away from Christ. And these five things, we're going to kind of look at them under two main headings. The first is that Jesus is questioned about fasting. And then the second is that Jesus is questioned about his attitude toward the Sabbath. And Jesus is being scrutinized. He's being criticized by the religious leaders who seem to follow him wherever he goes. Wherever he's at, they're there to criticize and to analyze. And it really started, if you back up into chapter 5, verse 31, or verse 30, as they said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They, they are criticizing him about who he hangs around and and why it is that he would choose to, to be with sinners. And now they begin to criticize him about these two things regarding fasting and about his attitude toward the Sabbath. And they ask him a question. They said to him in verse 33, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And so why do you choose not to fast, Jesus, when the disciples of John, I mean, they're fasting. They're praying. They're doing all of these religious things. And the Pharisees, they're doing that as well. Why aren't you doing it? What's up with that? And Jesus answers this question really in the form of three illustrations. The first is a wedding feast. Jesus said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. And so Jesus answers, first of all, this first illustration with a wedding feast, something they would have been very familiar with. The wedding feast was a week-long celebration where the bridegroom would be hanging out with his groomsmen. They didn't call them groomsmen, but that's how we would identify with that. He'd be hanging out with his groomsmen. They would be partying. They would be celebrating. They would be having a great time. And Jesus said, look, would it be appropriate for the friends of the bridegroom to fast and to mourn during that week, wouldn't that be kind of silly? It's a time of celebration. And this time that Jesus was on the earth with his disciples was a time of celebration. The Messiah had come. The Redeemer was there. And the Pharisees are all concerned about 
rituals and rules and regulations, and they're missing Jesus. And Jesus said, but look, there is a time coming where the bridegroom will be taken away. Just like during a wedding feast, the bridegroom would leave as they were married. He would depart. And then there would be a time for fasting. Then they would get back to normal life. And Jesus said, there will be a time that I will die, that I will be going away. And he's always pointing people to his crucifixion. Something I think we would be wise to heed is to point people to Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he points them to that. And he says, during that time, essentially, what he's telling them is, during that time from his death until his resurrection, there will be much mourning and questioning. And it, it will be a time for fasting. But then Jesus is going to come back in his resurrection. And at that point, there's no rule, there's no set amount of time where you need to fast. It's not a, a rule or a regulation or something that we have to do. It's something that I think we should do as a way to fellowship with God and a way to discipline our flesh. But the point of what Jesus is saying here is not that you need to fast a certain amount of times. The, the fact is Jesus is making the opposite point. That as Christians, we have a relationship with God and it's a time of celebration. And so Jesus gives the wedding feast as, as an illustration and in the midst of this, I think we learn the first thing about legalism, the first characteristic of legalism, and that is that it's concerned more with self-discipline than celebration. It's concerned more with disciplining yourself and, and living a certain way under a certain moral code than it is celebration. It's, it's more into trying to work toward God rather than recognizing that we already have relationship with God. It's more about trying to earn a relationship through your performance rather than recognizing you already have a relationship based upon your position in Christ. And, and we all fall into that where I try to perform for God. And it's about me denying myself and me denying my flesh. That's what's going to make me a Christian. And then what happens with that is we begin to attach certain things to that self-discipline. Because we all have our idea of what we should and shouldn't do, right? And so maybe it's smoking. And you pride yourself, you know. I don't smoke. And if you see somebody smoking, man, you judge them. Is that, can you really be a Christian and smoke? And if you see somebody walking up to church and they're smoking, you know, and, and then right before they go in, they put it out and they walk in and you're thinking, oh man, you're going to worship and you smoke. Now don't get me wrong. I think smoking is a nasty habit and I don't do it. I never will. I think it's gross. I think it's expensive. I think it'll kill you. But the reality of it is it's no different than eating a Twinkie. And so if I'm walking up to church and I'm eating a Twinkie, we don't think anything about it. It's like, oh yeah, that's why Ryan's a little on the plump side. <laughs> but we don't think anything about it, do we? It's like no big deal. But if I walked up smoking, you know, if I'm out there talking to you, hey, how's it going? Can I pray for you? Man, we would freak out, wouldn't we? You can't smoke and be a pastor. But truly think about that. Smoking's not a sin. It's not any different than eating a Twinkie or doing any number of things that are unhealthy for you. 
But we have this mindset culturally, don't we? And we're more concerned with self-discipline. But that self-discipline is always based upon my own definition of that. So you might be a health nut and, you know, you don't exercise. How can you truly be disciplined? You don't have any discipline over your body. Look at you. You don't exercise. Look at the way you eat. And, you, you know, you're drinking a soda and somebody's like judging you, you know. Do you know that stuff will rot your bones and your teeth? It'll give you brain cancer too. I mean, I've heard all the lectures on that stuff. And it very well may be true, but that's their thing. That's their opinion because they're granola-eating, treadmill-running type people. And it's their opinion. But they, maybe they don't have discipline in some other area of their life. Maybe they're horrible employees or they're, they're lazy in, in other ways. See, and, and so we have to, we have to recognize that, that celebrating the cross is what we're called to do. And that through that, as we crucify the flesh and as we identify with Jesus on the cross, it will produce discipline, but not in and of ourself. And that's not what earns a relationship with God. And so legalism, it concerns itself more with self-discipline and celebration. And so Jesus is illustrating that with this picture of a wedding and that it's a time of feasting and celebration. And that's what we ought to be doing, celebrating. And it's amazing how little celebration goes on in the church of just being stoked on Jesus and what he's done. But Christians seem like the most serious, just rigid Unhappy people, you know, it's, I'm I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, but I'm not going to show it to anybody else, because I'm serious for God, And, and the Lord wants us to just let go of all that, and just have a good time, and just celebrate everything that he's done for us, then Jesus goes on to give them really two parables to further illustrate his point. To further answer this question about fasting. It says he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled. And the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. And both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. And so the second illustration is this old garment that is tattered and that's torn. And, and so you want to mend it. And so you put a new patch on it. Now this illustration kind of falls apart with us because in our culture, at least most of us, we've grown up. When something gets old and tattered, you throw it away. Or, or you give it away, you know, bring it down to the church, right? So, give it to kids in Mexico. That, I, I mean, I love that. That's a whole different Bible study, though. But it, it's, it's old, it's tattered, it's, it's worn, so we probably get rid of it. But maybe some of you older folks that, that maybe grew up in, in a generation that was very conservative... And, and didn't have a lot. You, you know what it was like when jeans were torn, you mended them. And when shoes, uh, when the sole wore out, you, you got 
um, a new soul, not new shoes. I mean, I can't remember the last time I put a new soul on a pair of shoes. I mean, maybe like a pair of boots, you know, something. But like, I, I can't imagine that, that that even is something that happens very much anymore. Because most of the time I get tired of my shoes before they even wear out. It's like they still look good, but it's, ah, I'm tired of those. So this illustration doesn't quite work for us, but basically what happens is you have this, this old garment, maybe a shirt, maybe some jeans, and it gets a tear, and you put a new patch on it, and then you wash it. Well, what happens is the new patch shrinks up, and it tears away from the old, and it's pointless. And what Jesus is saying is that you can't just patch up your life. You can't just take a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of the the new work of God, the new covenant, and just patch it onto your old life. And isn't that what so many people want to do? I like Jesus. Jesus is cool. I I like the whole forgiveness thing, but I'm not going to like surrender it all to him. And so I'm just going to patch up my life a little bit. I'm just going to put on a patch over my old life. But what happens is that new tears away. It doesn't work. It's not conducive. And Jesus gives a similar illustration with new wine in old wineskins. That you can't put new wine that is yet to ferment into old wineskins that have already stretched out and already reached their full elasticity. See, these wineskins were, were made of animal skins. And they would stretch. But if you tried to put new wine, fill up this wineskin, and then expect it to hold it, you would find that the new wine, once it began to ferment, would expand. And the gases would would create a tearing of the old wineskins that have reached their full elasticity. And so you have to put new wine into new wineskins. And it's the same point. That you can't take a little bit of Jesus and add him into your rules and your regulations and your performance for God. It doesn't work. Like Paul told the Galatians, if you want to keep the law, you've got to keep the entirety of the law. But we like to mix it, don't we? And it doesn't work. And I remember when I first began attending church, I I didn't come to Christ for several months after attending church. My mom... Uh, told me that we were going to start going to church, and I told her she was nuts. There is no way that I'm going there. 15 years old, I've existed this long without it. I'm not going. Everybody I know that goes to church is a weirdo, and there's no way I'm doing that. And she's like, well, just come a couple times. And she drug me there, and the Lord kind of just kept dragging me there. But I remember going and thinking, okay, I can do this. I can kind of dress up nice a little bit. You know, I went to a church that you, you, you dressed up. In fact, I remember this old man. I was wearing a hat, and he told me, Son, you do not wear a hat in the house of God. And I thought, you know, something's weird about that. And, and I'm going to find out why that's weird. I wasn't even saved, and I knew that was weird. This is the house of God? Come on, buddy. But I remember going, and, and I remember thinking, I can do this. I can drum up this righteousness I can be a good person. I'll quit cussing. And I'm going to be nice to people. I'm not going to put anybody down. That was my favorite thing. I love to, I mean, not a lot's changed. But I, I love to, you know, rip into people and make fun of people. And I, I was not, not a, a real nice kid. 
And, and I remember thinking, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to be honest. And, and when, when I'm given too much change at the store, I'm going to give it back. I remember that. I was at the store. I, I handed the lady a 20, and she gave me $30 back. And I was like, score. I started to walk away, and I was not a Christian, but there was this conscience now. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to give that back. So I went back, and I gave it back, and, and I felt good about myself. Man, I am coming up in the world. God now loves me. But that kind of mentality only lasted till about Monday afternoon. And when somebody bumped me in the hall, you know, I'm going fisticuffs with the guy. And when somebody said something to me, I was cussing them out. But then Sunday morning, oh yeah, I'm at youth group. I'm looking good. But I began to have this sense that this is not what Christianity is all about. And it wasn't until I gave my life to Christ that I realized in order to have the, the discipline, in order to have the fruit, you have to have the spirit. And it's not about you. It's about him working in you. But we get the cart before the horse. And we try to perform for God. And maybe you're in that place right now. And it's a frustrating place. It's a place that leads to burnout. Because you're trying to make your way to God. I can do this. I'm going to be a good person. And you end up a failure every single time. And Jesus is telling them, look. Don't try to mix the old with the new. Don't try to patch up your life. Are you trying to patch up your life right now with your own righteousness? And man, maybe if I get enough patches, I'll look like one of those nerd boy scouts. I mean, I am amazing. Look at all these patches I've got for God. And God says, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed with your patches. I want to give you a brand new garment. I want to give you my righteousness. Your self-righteousness stinks. In fact, the Bible says it's like a bloody tampon. You can look it up. Isaiah, your righteousness is like filthy rags. In the Hebrew, it's exactly what it means. It's a word picture for us to show us this is how God sees your righteousness. It's not pretty. It's not attractive. And so Jesus answers the question about fasting with these three illustrations which really teach us two things about legalism. The first thing is that we're concerned more with self-discipline than celebration. A second thing is that we hold on to traditions instead of the Word of God. See, they wanted to hold on to their traditions. They wanted to patch up their life with their traditions, with their rules, instead of God's Word and what God says. And it doesn't work. And if you're doing that, if you're holding on to traditions instead of the word of God, if you're holding on to your own righteousness instead of what Jesus says about you, that's legalism. And it will end in disaster every time. Jesus goes on in chapter 6. It says, Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields. And his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And so this second heading is that Jesus is questioned about his attitude toward the Sabbath. And there's two encounters that he has on the Sabbath. The first is this of picking grain. And he he and his disciples were not doing anything illegal. It was perfectly legal to go through the fields and to glean, much like we saw in the book of Ruth. How Ruth the Moabitess was going and gleaning the fields. And Boaz allowed her to do that and blessed her. And so they're making their way through the grain fields. And they're taking the, the weed and they're 
separating the wheat and the chaff and they're eating it. It was a common thing to do. And some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And these guys, they're like always there. Do you notice that? Like every time you turn around, they're there where Jesus is at. They're like stalkers. And you can just see him like hiding around bushes, you know, just watching Jesus. Binoculars, little earpieces. Yep, I got a, the, the eagle has landed. I see him. Yep. And they're, they're criticizing him now for what he's doing on the Sabbath. And really what we learn in, in this section is that legalism places a higher priority upon rules than it does upon meeting people's needs. It places a higher priority on my rules, on what I think is right, on what I think is wrong, than it does upon simply meeting people's needs. And Jesus answered them and said, look, have you not even read this? Which that would have infuriated the Pharisees. Have you not even read this? You can just picture him, you know, if he had a Bible, they didn't have them like this, they had big scrolls, but if he had a Bible, he'd be like, have you not even read this? And they're like, who are you? We're schooled in the best theological seminaries. We are the elite of the elite. And you're challenging us as to whether or not we've read this. Of course we've read it. Well, Jesus knew they read it. They had it memorized, but they missed the point. They completely missed the point. Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him and Jesus referring to 1 Samuel 21. How David went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those who were with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, the son of man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus gives them an illustration from the word of God. Don't you remember when David went into the temple and he was hungry? And yeah, technically he wasn't allowed to eat the showbread. It's only for the priests. But David understood something about God. And that is that God cares way more about needs than he does about rules. And it's amazing to me how that in the church we can elevate our rules and our traditions above people's needs. And that's totally opposed to God. Jesus was there. He recognized the need. And he said, go ahead, guys. Just eat. There's freedom in Christ. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And he made it clear, look, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You guys are all concerned with keeping the Sabbath. I want you to understand, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is just a picture of me. And see, that's what happens, is that you get so caught up in your religious duties, you get so caught up in your self-righteousness that you miss Jesus. And that's what they were doing. In fact, Jesus would tell them later that you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. Jesus wanted them to know that in all of your study of the word of God, you're missing the point. It's about me. And you know what? You guys, in all of our church going, in all of our activities for God, in all of our discipline and self-righteousness, we can miss Jesus. And that is a tragic place to be. Yes, you think you're growing because you know what? I didn't miss a Sunday. And I give of my money. And I help. And I'm a nice person and I don't cuss. And I don't watch rated R movies. And I don't smoke and I don't drink. And you begin to, to get puffed up with your own righteousness. Meanwhile, completely missing 
Jesus. That's what legalism does. It places a higher priority upon your rules, your regulations, than it does upon meeting people's needs. Jesus moved on from there. And it happened on another Sabbath that he entered the synagogue and taught. And whenever Jesus went into the synagogue, that's what he did. He taught the people. That's the model that we have, is to simply teach the word of God. Jesus doesn't go and entertain. He doesn't go and give them a little pep talk, a good thought for the week. He teaches them the word. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And a lot of scholars believe that the Pharisees planted this guy there. That they were like, look, this is perfect. We'll put a crippled guy in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Certainly Jesus won't be able to help himself. And he'll heal the guy and we'll have some more ammunition against Jesus. Which tells you something about Jesus. That they understood that Jesus met needs. And that if he saw a need, he would meet that need. But it's what I love about Jesus because I almost picture that Jesus did these things on purpose. Like going through the grain fields. I can see the disciples being hungry on Thursday. And Jesus saying, you know what? Let's wait till tomorrow night. Let's wait for the Sabbath. Well, why is that? Because I want to teach the Pharisees some things. And just waiting. Or going into the, the, the synagogue and just knowing and looking for some way to offend their traditions and their rules. Jesus was a rebel. Man, we have totally made Jesus to be out this, this effeminate guy in a, in a robe who, who just would never offend anyone. Long flowing hair. He's cute. He's nice to everyone. But man, we see a different Jesus here. We see a rebel. We see a guy who is on the cutting edge. We see a different Jesus when he's throwing people out of the temple. Jesus was not a pansy. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely. They watched him closely, verse 7. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. And so they're following Jesus around simply that they can accuse him. Even though they see him doing all this amazing stuff. Even though they see him healing people and delivering people from demons. And feeding the poor. They just want to find an accusation against him. And so interesting that they watched him closely. And I think that's a fourth thing about legalism. Fourth characteristic is that it gets just close enough to Jesus to be dangerous. Gets just close enough that you look like a Christian and that your church looks like a place that loves Jesus. And you go there and you think, man, this is a place about Jesus. But it really isn't. It's a place about rules. It's a place to perform. It's a place to impress. It's a place to find your own righteousness, not Jesus' righteousness. And man, it leaves you devastated. And that's why people say, I can't stand the church. It's filled with hypocrites. Exactly. It's filled with people that are trying to perform for God. And I'm going to put on a suit and I'm going to talk differently in hushed tones. And oh, brother... Everything is just amazing. Life is good. There's not a problem one. How are you doing, brother? Oh, I can't even begin to tell you of the blessings of God. But on the way there, they were screaming at their kids. Yesterday, he just got word that he's probably going to get laid off from his job. He's filled with lust. He doesn't love his wife anymore. His wife can't stand him. Every day when he comes home, he gives the dog a kick and yells and screams at his kids. His life's horrible. 
He's making everybody around him miserable. But at church, I am doing so well with God. And it's a joke. Who wants to be a part of that? Apparently, a lot of people do. I don't know why. But I think younger people are are leaving that in droves, saying it's an absolute waste of my time. I want some reality. I want something that actually resonates with my life. That, that, that it isn't detached, that, that church isn't something so completely different than what I see in the, in the real world. It's like when I turn on television and I watch these preachers on television and I think to myself, that is so disconnected from real life. Where do you see people with eight-inch eyelashes anywhere but on TV? Where do you see a guy whose hair is so perfect, it doesn't even move with his head. It's just like, where else do you see that? These aren't real people. These are characters. And the church has become a place that is just close enough to Jesus that the sign says something about him. That that maybe even they say, come and experience Jesus or come and have you know, you're fill of the Spirit or whatever, but you go there and there's nothing about Jesus. And there's nothing about the Spirit. And it's traditions and it's rules and it's regulations. And my gosh, it, it can happen to any of us in any church. I mean, even our, our own movement, the Calvary Chapel movement, as it gets older and more established, it just blows me away how this movement that... 40 years ago was just hippies with no shoes, playing guitars for Jesus, just opening your Bible, leading people to Christ by the thousands. And now we've got rules. And now this is what it means to be a Calvary Chapel. Really? And I think some of the original guys that went out are like, you're now going to tell me what it means to be a Calvary Chapel? Some blog site? is now defining what we can and can't do. And, ooh, you have a candle. That is emergent. You might become liberal. And if you don't vote Democrat, you know, and if you don't run the same people through your ministries and promote the same books. And did are, you, you read the shack? Of all things, the whore! I mean, my gosh, it might actually make you think differently about God. And it's just, it's unbelievable to me, you guys. It's unreal how that can happen. And you know what? We, we don't really see that in, in our Calvary Chapel because we're new and, and we're a young church plan and we're not steeped in these traditions. But what's going to happen 30 years from now? See, right now everything's fresh and it's alive and, and, and your pastor isn't going to let that kind of garbage be disseminated here. But what's going to happen when we get set in our ways and we get sort of some traditions of this is how we've always done it. We can't do it any other way because me and my infinite wisdom knows I, I've done it all. I know this is the only way to do it. There's no better way to do it. Really? Well, it hasn't been working. So maybe we ought to try something different. And when you hear that, we've always done it this way. We cannot do it any other way. And I'm starting to hear that even in my own movement. And it blows my mind. We can't do it any other way. It gets just close enough to Jesus to be dangerous. But in reality, there's very little of Jesus to be had in that kind of an environment. 
where you're putting your rules and your regulations on people. This is how I see it. And it only happens this way. And it's a sham. And it really is too bad. It's tragedy. Jesus knew their thoughts, verse 8, and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. And so you can just picture Jesus is just like, okay, beautiful opportunity. And he just puts this guy right in the middle of everybody. And the Pharisees are there and they're watching. What's he going to do? And Jesus said to them, notice he's talking to them, the Pharisees. I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy? And again, it goes back to placing a higher priority on meeting needs than upon rules. Legalism places a higher priority on rules. And Jesus says, look, this man has a need. We're going to meet that need. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save or to destroy? Notice that Jesus is very black and white on this issue. That if you see a need and you don't meet that need because of your own preconceived ideas and your own rules, that that's actually evil. That it's sinful to let a need pass by you that you have the opportunity to meet and to not do anything about it. That Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, you just missed an opportunity. Jesus said that is evil. It's wrong. It's sin. And James 4.17 says, to him who knows the good he ought to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so it's not an issue of good and better. It's an issue of evil and good or destroying life or saving life. It's totally black and white. And we need to see it as such. And they don't answer him. So he looks around at them all and says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to meet your needs. He wants to meet your needs. If you'll just stretch out your hand to him, he'll restore to you that that need that you have. He'll touch your life. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And so, again, absolutely missed the point. Here this guy has just been healed. And they're not blown away by that. They're not amazed by that. They don't worship. They don't praise God for it. All they can think of is, you did this on the Sabbath. How dare you? You have a copy of the shack in your bookstore. Or you light a candle. Or you fill in the blank of traditions. And, and for us, individually, it, it's, it's different, isn't it? It's, I can't believe that they smoke a cigarette. Did you know that that person drinks alcohol? Did you know that I went there and I looked at their DVDs and there were at least three or four movies that were rated R? See, what it is is it's focusing on the wrong things. The Pharisees were completely focused on the wrong things. They thought they were focused on the right things. Their emotions said, this is right. But in reality, they were so opposed to God. And we can fall into that. Where we get focused on the wrong things. Where we have our idea of what is right and what is wrong. And we begin to elevate things that are actually not even sin. Like smoking. Like drinking alcohol. Like watching movies. Like driving a new car or sending your kids to public school. On and on, the things that we've said, this is what it means to be a Christian. When none of it has anything to do with Christianity. And we elevate those things. And see, it's, it's totally cultural. 
And that's what's wrong with it. It's tradition, it's culture, it's opinion. We need to stick to the word. And we elevate the wrong things. And so someone who is a glutton or someone who is filled with lust or someone who's a gossip or is a liar, is cheating on their taxes. All these things that nobody else really knows about. But they'll go around and they'll judge people because they do this or they do that. And so someone who just screamed and yelled at their kids and just blew up in anger and that defines their life and nobody at their job likes them and they're just a bitter person, but they judge others for drinking alcohol or, or a gossip. You know, it's amazing how we can be gossiping about somebody while thinking we're being righteous. Did you know what they do? And now we begin to gossip about them. Meanwhile, we think we are the ones that are righteous when in fact we're sinning and they're not. It's amazing. And it's the enemy. It's the enemy who gets in there and he twists things and he makes us believe things that aren't true. And we have got to ask God to deliver us from that. We've got to ask God to keep us focused on the right things, which is Jesus and him alone. Paul said, Jesus Christ in him crucified. That's what I'll preach. And that's what we want to be about, you guys. I don't want to give you a list of rules and regulations. I don't want you to focus on the wrong things. I want you to focus on Jesus. And what's he doing in your life right now? What is Jesus doing right now in our church? What's he doing in your life? And again, we we can begin to identify ourselves with the wrong things. See, the Pharisees were identifying with their group of very religious, self-righteous, moral men. And that's what they identified themselves with. And they were missing this amazing move of God that was happening right in their midst. And oh man, can we do this. Corporately, we do this. I go to, to church websites periodically and I click on About Us, Calvary Chapel church websites. I think, man, what's God doing there? And I click on about us. And it says in 1960, there was a revival and hippies were coming from all over the place. And God was doing a work. And I'm thinking 1960. I wasn't even born until 1975. Who cares about 1960? Quit talking about that. That's what you're identifying yourself with is a revival that you had nothing to do with 40 years ago. I want to be identified with what Jesus is doing right now. I want people to see the move of God here and now. Not talk about what God's doing in Bend or what God's doing somewhere else. What's God doing right here, right now? That's corporately. And it's tragic. It's sad. Identify with the wrong thing. But individually, we can do it as well. Where we identify with the church. And, hey, how are you doing? Oh, man, the church is going amazing. It's growing and we're doing lots of outreach. And No, how are you doing? You, individually, you do have an individual life that doesn't have to rotate and revolve around the church. That shouldn't define who you are in Jesus. And man, nobody's more passionate about ministry than me, so don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is, is that you click on church websites about us as 40 years ago. You click on your own website of your life and you ask, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? And it's stuff that has really nothing to do with you or it was 10, 20 years ago. What's God doing now? He wants to do a fresh work. See, they were all caught up in the past in traditions and legalism and patching my life and I'm going to do this for God and I am an amazing individual. And they missed it. They missed it. Can you imagine 
those Pharisees that came to Christ later, and, and there were many, Nicodemus, one of them, Paul the Apostle. Can you imagine later how stupid you would feel to realize that God in human flesh had walked among you and you missed it because you were looking around bushes to see what he was going to do on the Sabbath because you wanted to know if he was keeping your rules. And you know what? The Pharisees were ignorant. We're not. And we do the same thing. We miss Jesus. We live our whole life and miss Jesus, miss the point. Like the Pharisees, get close enough to be dangerous. And you know what? I don't want that to be what defines us. I want to be defined by Jesus. I want people to come here and to feel the freedom to experience Jesus in a way that is biblical, but individual. And allow them to know that we're not trying to put a bunch of rules on you. And we're not trying to dictate to you how exactly God's going to work in your life. And, and maybe you'll be blessed by that particular book and maybe you'll hate it. And that's okay. That's the freedom and the beauty of the body of Christ that we can agree to disagree about stuff. We don't all have to see things the same way that we can just agree about Jesus and that it isn't about us. It's about him. Let's stand and pray together. Father, what an amazing truth that it's not about us. It's not about our ability to drum up righteousness, to be good in and of ourselves, Lord. It's about simply surrendering to you. And Lord, that's what we want to do. Lord, I thank you that, that we're a young church, that, that we're a newer church, Lord, and that we don't have a lot of traditions and we don't have a lot of rules. But God, keep us from that as we develop more and become more established. Lord, and I, I thank you for the, the legacy of, of Calvary Chapel and what you've done in the past. But God, may we not identify with that. May we be identified with what you're doing right here in Prineville in Crook County today. Lord, may we not identify with, with something that happened 10 or 15 years ago in our own personal life. But Lord, may we desire a fresh work, not trying to put new wine into old wineskins, Lord. God, we invite you. We give you the, the freedom. We surrender our lives to you. God, do whatever you want in us and through us. And in this church, Lord, we let go of our own preconceived ideas. And, and God, we let go of our inhibitions. Lord, we let go of our of our mindsets, of, of our ideas of what you can and can't do, God. We, we don't want you to be in a box, Lord. You're God. And we're not. Do what you will. Lord, as the pastor of this church, I, I just say, do whatever you want to do in this church, God. Do whatever you want to do in our lives. Lord, we want to be defined by you and, and the work you're doing right now here in this place. Holy Spirit, move among us in a powerful way. Create revival, Lord, in this community as we just simply allow you to flow through us, God. And we don't try to 
channel you or stop you or dictate to you, God. We just become the vessels through which you can flow. Lord, how exciting is that? God, move powerfully among us, Lord. We want that. We need that. Forgive us, God, for our legalism. Deliver us from it. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.